0: Welcome to Leader Talk, a podcast in which we talk to leaders of deeper learning schools. Most of our guests are principals who lead schools that focus on critical thinking, problem solving, and depth of understanding. Students in these deeper learning schools typically have much greater student agency, voice, and choice than you would see in a more traditional school, and they often engage in more authentic, real-world work that makes an impact in the communities around them. The goal of LeaderTalk is to make explicit the concrete, tangible leadership behaviors and organizational support structures that foster students' deeper learning opportunities. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Greetings, Leader Talk listeners. My name is Scott McLeod. I'm a professor of educational leadership at the University of Colorado, Denver, and also the founding director of Castle C-A-S-T-L-E, the only university center in the United States focused on leadership, deeper learning, technology, and innovation. Today, my guest on Leader Talk is Chris Lehman, the founding principal of the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Happy New Year and welcome, Chris.
1: Thanks. Uh, Happy New Year. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, Chris, you and I have known each other a long time. We even edited a book together back in the day. For those folks who aren't familiar with your work, maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit and also tell us about Science Leadership Academy and its learning model.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I'm Chris Lehman. I'm the founding principal of the Science Leadership Academy School in Philadelphia, in the Center City campus. And I am the CEO of SLA Schools. There's now three SLA schools, SLA Center City, which is the school I'm currently sitting in and the school I run day to day, Uh, SLA at Bieber, which is uh, a 5 to 12 school in West Philadelphia, and SLA Middle School, which is a 5 through 8 middle school. Uh, located in University City, a little closer in in West Philadelphia. Um, we All three schools are part of the school district of Philadelphia. We are public schools. Uh, and everything we do is based on an inquiry-driven, project-based caring approach to education where all of the learning is focused on our core values of inquiry. What are the big questions we can ask? Research, how do we find answers to those questions? Collaboration, how do we work together to make those answers deeper, better, richer? Presentation, how do we show what we know? And reflection, how do we step back and learn from what we've done? That's the sort of iterative process by which we uh, view learning and how we sort of structure our learning every day at all three schools.
0: Nice. Chris, you want to tell us a little bit about your students and the families that you serve?
1: Sure. Uh, we are uh, a public school in Philadelphia or three public schools in Philadelphia. We serve an incredibly diverse cross-section of Philadelphia. So, um at uh to speak specifically the school that I know the demographics best at is SLA Center City, which is my school and we are uh roughly 35% African American, roughly 35% white, uh About 14% Hispanic, about 12% Asian, and then uh, multiracial with the last, what is that, like seven or so percent of our uh, population. Um, About 50, I just saw those stats for this year's class, about 54% of our kids uh, are uh, classified as economically disadvantaged by using the the Title I standards. Uh, For Philadelphia, that makes us a middle class school. For everywhere else in the world, that does not. Um, so we serve a wildly diverse group of learners. Um, they are diverse geographically, re- we represent every zip code in Philadelphia. They're diverse racially, they're diverse socioeconomically. And there's a lot of intentionality that has to go in to really ensure that what you are doing, um, is creating a thoughtful, uh, caring and, uh, sort of fully immersive community that celebrates its diversity.
0: Nice. Thanks. Um, Chris, SLA has been around a while. You're now branched out to these other two schools. Um, can you help people get a sense of what happens there? Like what are some cool things that your students do? What kind of, what are some example projects that sort of illustrate the power of your school model?
1: Sure. So currently, you know, for example, something that's going on right now that's actually coming to a close this week is uh the documentary projects happening in our 11th grade history classes where kids are making documentaries about um, uh, current issues that uh, affect them. And so they've come together on a bunch of different topics. They've been sort of um, crowdsourced within the classes to allow them to sort of pull resources, but then kids can take that, you know, these these are big issues that kids can take in different directions. Sorry about that. We're in a school, so. 30. Yeah, it's all good. That that never happens right. at the university, by the way. Right? No, it's probably a benefit. But um, <laughs> so you know, the kids have been interviewing. We had um, I got to sit in on a Zoom call with Senator Bob Casey. We had former Mayor Michael Nutter. We had um, state house uh representatives here. We had. Um anti-gun violence. We had got big anti-gun violence activists in the building, all you know, coming in talking to our kids about these issues that are of real extreme importance to them. And then the kids are crafting um 10-minute documentaries um, at these, you know, that are sort of both sort of detailing the issue, but then also detailing their solutions to some of the problems that they see around them. Um, just an amazing, amazing project that allows kids to see. And these are all getting published um, on by the C span by the C by the C span. So the kids are able to do, sort of care about something deeply in their world, come up with solutions, but then also see themselves as participating in a much larger conversation than just sort of the four walls of our school. That's just one example. That's something that's literally happening right now. Um, it's a great example of the inquiry driven project based model. Um, but you know what that looks like in Various disciplines really changes, you know, in a science classroom, that means not just sort of doing the sort of like paint by numbers lab, but actually doing actual uh, labs that can have different results where you're designing, you know, you're designing the labs or it means going out and doing citizen science. In an English classroom, that can mean everything from classical sort of analytical writing to podcasting to creative writing and publishing and looking at all these things uh, in our engineering class, you um, the kids are working with easter seals to look at ways that toys can be designed more to be more uh, accessible to folks with physical disabilities or physical challenges um to you know any number of senior capstones that are going on that are just as innovative and creative and funky and cool as the kids themselves
0: Chris I always love talking with you about the learning that's happening in your school cuz your kids are always doing amazing things um Talk to us a little bit about this idea of a senior capstone. What's the purpose of that? What function is sure. it meant to serve for both them and you?
1: Sure. Um, so senior capstone is a year-long inquiry project uh, where, you know, instead of, you know, like over the course of the four years, you know, the, those five core values that I mentioned are always in the context of a subject area class, right? Be it you know, an English class, a philosophy class, an art class, or a science class, what have you. What Capstone is, is an opportunity for the kids to say whatever the sort of content is now agnostic, right? What is the content you want to, what is the question you want to ask? What is the problem you want to solve? And how will you take this learning model that you've been in for four years with the five core values and what have you, and the idea of creating powerful artifacts of your learning that actually manifest in the world, and you would now have this structure to now work within. But the content, the product, you know, all of the the process, all of that is defined by the students. The process is co-design, right? There's some benchmarks along the way to make sure that kids, you know, have, um, you know, the opportunity to like not get lost in that because, you know, a year to like, go do a thing, see you in June, right? That's being mean to children and first rule, don't be mean to children. <laughs> right? So like there's, you know, there's benchmarks along the way, there's process points along the way, but a lot of those process points are even kids defining for themselves because you can't um, define the process points for all the kids um, beforehand because the projects are so different, right? So the student who's doing an engineering project and who's working on, um oh my goodness, um, building their own car, which has been a project, uh, in the past, not this year, is doing something very, very different than the student who wants to run uh, an after-school program for student for younger kids, teaching them how to code, right? Like, versus the kid who's making an original film. So many of these sort of, even these process points along the way are process points that then force the students or push the students to define for themselves what their process will look like. Right. And that's, you know, and like I said, the projects are as varied as the kids themselves this year. Uh, actually, we have coming up in two weeks. We also have um, an incredible partnership with Brass Chem, who's a multinational uh, engineering and petrochemical firm, but based here in Philadelphia. And they donate $10,000 a year towards um, to SLA for kids to have the funding they need to to do some of these projects. And so um, we have pitch night coming up in two weeks where kids have been working on their proposals. All the kids' proposals are due at the end of the first semester. And then second semester is sort of actualizing the project. But for, I think about 26 kids, which is roughly 20, 25% of our class, um, they'll actually, they actually need some funding for this and they'll be pitching BrassCam on why they need the funding and, and what they plan to do with it. And that'll happen in two weeks. And that's this incredible, incredible event. Um, actually, it happen in a little bit more than two weeks, about a month. Um, and uh, like I said, kids have done, I mean, the kinds of projects are as varied as the kids themselves.
0: So Chris, you've obviously got a lot of moving parts here. There's lots happening. Um, it's all awesome. Um, But this is also really complex learning and teaching work, right? And I guess, you know, maybe you could share with us a little bit about what are some of the organizational structures and systems and processes and supports that SLA has in place to sort of enable this kind of learning by students and this kind of teaching by teachers?
1: Sure. So the first thing is, you know, as we've already mentioned, the core values, right? So there's there's a curriculum design model in place, right? So With every unit that the teachers design, the first thing they do is ask themselves, how will the kids interact with the core values in this unit? What does that look like? We all use Understanding by Design as our unit planning tool. Um, Is it the perfect unit planning design tool? I really don't know, nor do I care. It's a good one, right? And, And it's made better because we all use it together. Right? And so we spend less time looking for what's that perfect tool, but rather what's a good tool that we will be better because we all use together. And then also every project is graded on the same rubric, right? We have a five category rubric. The five categories are the design of the project, the knowledge displayed, the application of that knowledge, the presentation of the project and the process you followed. Five categories, each category is worth 20 points, five times 20 equals hundred. It translates back into grades that the rest of the universe understands. But for us, what we now have created is a language of inputs with the core values, a language of process with understanding by design and a language of outputs with the rubric, you know, outputs, assessment, however you want to call that. And what that does is that creates a common language of teaching and learning so that kids are spending less time figuring out the adults, right? If we share our language, if we're all on a page, then kids aren't spending their cognitive load on figuring us out because that's wasted time right? If we can make sure that what kids really are spending their energy and time on is figuring out the work and figuring out themselves in that work, that's the great stuff. So that's an example of a system and structure. Others are, we do what we call streaming. So all of our kids take English history and science as a cohort uh, for ninth, 10th and 11th grade, 12th grade, we get into like more of college style electives. So it's not quite, if we break the streams, but with those streams, what we do is we allow teachers to collaborate more. We allow for really organic Um, interdisciplinary work, as well as very planned interdisciplinary work. Um, We also use grade-wide themes and essential questions to create through lines. So that way classes are seen as lenses, not silos. So that way in ninth grade, we're always coming back to this idea of identity. In 10th grade, we're always coming back to this idea of systems. In 11th grade, we're always coming back to this idea of change, right? And then 12th grade, because of the capstones, we're always coming back to this idea of creation. What can we create? Um, What that does is when you are viewing... African-American history, for example, through an identity lens, regardless of whether or not you are African-American, you are viewing how this question of like how people define themselves, how people get defined by the world. And that becomes this through line question. So then when you're looking at, and that's how you can draw a connection between a 500 year old Shakespearean text that is asking these big questions of identity, you know, a recent memoir, African-American history and genetics in a biochemistry class, because now you've got these through line questions that, again, allow kids to connect to the dots, both organically and through some planned work on the part of the teachers. Um, And that's really, really powerful. So That's another system and structure that allows us to create this kind of really um, intentional atmosphere for learning.
0: Chris, that's fantastic. Thank you. You know, I think there's this misperception around deeper learning schools that they're just kind of like anarchic, chaotic, free for all spaces where kids and teachers just do whatever. Right. And, <laughs> and, and 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 when in actuality, I think we find over again that there are very intentional, purposeful, explicit structures that enable this different kind of learning to happen.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, it's very interesting, actually, in that. Um, you know, we're actually just uh, looking because, you know, in most schools, there's you can be a very good teacher by walking in your door, teaching your classes, cl- you know, closing the door behind you, teaching your classes and walking out. And you might be collegial with the people you teach with, but you don't have many reasons to be collaborative, right? At schools like S.L.A., and we are far from alone in this. There's a lot more interconnectivity, and there's a lot more interdependency. And it requires because teachers are also both teachers and advisors, and we all are advisors to the to our colleague, to the kids our college teach, colleagues teach and what have you. Um, there's a lot more interdependency and making sure stuff gets done where everybody's kind of hitting their marks, is much more necessary. And, you know, we've always had this challenge of like, keep it simple, stupid, but also that there is a complexity to this work that can you can fall behind on as a teacher and just be like, oh, where's that document? Where's this thing? I know we've got, you know, like we've got rules around like how many projects a kid can do in a week so that way we don't kill the children. But if you forget where all that stuff lives, it can be so like one is we've got a really robust like online document system where like people can get hands on what they need in a hurry. But we've never had a great system for making sure everybody remembered when they had to do everything. So we're actually playing around with Asana right now. In fact, I've got to run a PD on it in an hour Um, just to let people play with it and say like, is this something worth spending 2000 bucks a year on? If it means we'll all be better colleagues for one another. Right. Like, um, and it's funny because when we initially kind of put it in front of some people, people were like, please do not give us one more tool. Right. And I was like, no, 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 I get that. I'm a big fan of, of not too many tools. But then I was like, how are we keeping track of, I was like, where do we want to spend our energy? Do we want to spend it on the front end learning this thing? Or do we want to spend it on the back end feeling crappy that we forgot to do something? And notice I use we because I am chief forgetter, right? Like, and, um, you know, so that is the kind of thing where people were like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. So, like, so we're going to kick the tires on that and see, like, are we at a place where we want to bring in another tool to help us do this stuff?
0: Got it. So, Chris, you talked a lot about the structures and processes that are in place to help enable You know, students and teachers, what are the things that you do personally as a leader to sort of make this learning and teaching happen different from the systems, right? Like what are the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis as an admin? Uh,
1: Running around like a chicken with my head cut off? No. Um, I mean, I think one of the things I do is I try to keep the world at bay, right? Like there's a lot in the world today of education and with larger systems and what have you of like we are living in a compliance era and we are living more and more and more in a surveillance era. And those are creeping things that should scare all educators. And what thoughtful principals do right now is keep is know what's important, know what's not important and clear the deck for students and teachers. So that way they're spending their time on what matters and not spending their time on what doesn't. And that's getting harder and harder and harder to do. Right. We've learned, I would say, the the scariest thing about the pandemic, other than like, you know, worldwide pandemic, is the lessons people learned about how they can use technology to better track people. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think people have the right to get, get lost from time to time. Um, but I also think that it allows for a level of surveillance tech in schools that is scary for teachers and students. So I think a lot of what I do right now is keep the world at bay and kind of spread my arms and and have the broadest shoulders in the building. Um, The other thing I would say that I spend a lot of time doing is helping people navigate relationships. Um, We ask teachers to navigate 120 relationships a day. They're not going to do all of them well. Um, That's why an advisory program becomes so incredibly important. But sometimes it's important for me to step in and do that. The other thing I try to do is be a sounding board. Right. Like, and to be the sort of person who, when people have ideas, and I'm the person whose job it is to help them figure out how to make sure that those ideas align with what our our overall mission is. And can be pulled so that way we're always creating that unified whole in really meaningful ways. And then, of course, the other stuff I'm doing is all the stuff that, you know, good principals have done since the dawn of time, right? Parent relationships, student relationships, teacher relationships. I mean, there's so much of this job is relational. Um, That never ends. And that's the really fun part of the work. So, yeah.
0: Chris, I appreciate you talking about the buffering piece. You know, I think we have a lot of administrators who are running scared, particularly at the building level, of mandates from districts and states. And I think what you're saying is that I've got big shoulders and I'm willing to sort of be the shield against some of that so that my teachers and students can do the things that they want to do. And I think what comes with that, which you didn't really talk much about, but I think is implicit in all this, is that, yes, we always talk about relationships as school leaders, but you have an extraordinary level of trust in your staff
1: and your students, don't you? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, and yet it's also to your earlier point, it's not this like do whatever you want kind of thing, right? There's a model here, but within that model, there's incredible freedom to be really thoughtful and smart. Um, But I also think that that cuts both ways, right? I think my staff has a lot of faith and my students have a lot of faith in me such that there's not... Really, a reason to cowboy here, right? Like, if you've got a funky idea, like you're incentivized to share it because we can help you make it better, and then we can give you the cover, uh, when we know about stuff, like in case the world does think that what you're doing is a little insane, right? Like a little bit off beat. Um, but if we're surprised by stuff, it's harder to do that. So you try to make folks realize that, like. You know, and obviously teachers grasp this very quickly. Sometimes kids take a little longer um, that. Um, we're it's a whole lot easier to do this within than without.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Chris, we have a number of more traditional schools that are thinking about moving in the direction of deeper learning. <laughs> um, tips, strategies, other suggestions for.
1: Come administ- to uh, That's the best <laughs> thing, right? Like we put on this conference. Uh, it'll be happening the first weekend in February here at the school, the third, fourth and fifth. Um, we take apart all the sort of systems and structures and also really smart people from all over the country are doing sessions and it's all discussion oriented, action oriented. None of it is sit and get. So I think that's thing one. Um, thing two, you know, is whether it's, you know, the book that Zach and I wrote, Building School 2.0, whether it's Larissa's book, Authentic Equity of the Digital Age, whether it's Debbie Meyer's work. There's a lot of study on this stuff, right? Like really smart people, and I'm not talking about my book, I'm talking about other people's, have written this stuff down. Um, be a scholar of the work. And then the other thing I would say is understand the difference between inquiry-driven and project-based versus just project-based. I think a lot of schools go to project-based, and what they end up with is a lot of ad, water, and stir uh, and you know, what we've always said is if you give out a project and you get back 32, of the exact same thing, you didn't give out a project, you gave out a recipe and helping kids understand that actually, and helping educators understand that, um, um, helping educators understand that inquiry is actually the bigger piece of the puzzle than projects is I think huge, right? Projects is about your, your outcome, your output inquiry is about the learning. Right. Inquiry is about and and look, a good project will engage you in inquiry like that's thoughtful project design. But like if you don't start with the inquiry, you can end up with these kind of like paint by number projects or, you know, recipe based, you know, what I like to call a recipe project and understanding that getting helping teachers to understand how do we ask big questions and how do we um, create the conditions by which kids are safe to ask them themselves and answer them and find and work together. Um, that's the real work, and and it's slow work. Um, it's not cookie cutter, um, but it's super rewarding.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I you know, I love what you just said. You know, I've been going to a lot of schools lately and I'll hear teachers say they're going to do a PBL quote unquote with their students. And it just like makes my head hurt. Right. Because they're turning PBL as, as a modality of uh, learning and teaching into a noun. It's something right. that they do. Right. And, and again, then it becomes plug and play and Ouch. Uh, Chris, we're near the end of our time here. Anything else you want to share with folks about, you know, how you think about leading in this kind of space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing we didn't talk about, you know, which is wild is advisory and this question of the caring education. Right. And this idea of like with any of these things. Right. Like if you can't show me in your schedule where your values live, then you're then you don't actually have those hold those values. Right. So we believe in the idea of a caring education, the idea that we teach students before subjects and the sort of living manifestation with that is our four year advisory program, which is one teacher, 20 kids. They meet together twice a week, for 45 minutes for all four years. Um, it, it ensures that every single student in this school knows who their advocate is. Right. No matter what. It's not just the kid who happens to be the newspaper editor or the basketball player or the soccer player. It's every kid. And what that creates is the conditions by which um we can create a caring education and teachers understand because we are all both teachers and we are all both teachers and advisors that like we are beholden to one another, right? It's the ultimate interdependency. And because if you're doing a bad job, I'm going to hear about it in my advisory. And if I'm doing a bad job, you're going to hear about it in your advisory. And so we're incentivized to do this work well, but also we're incentivized to help each other when we don't. Because we are all invested in the kids.
0: Awesome. Uh thanks for talking with me today, Chris. You know that I always love hanging out with you. Um, everybody, get yourselves to EduCon this year or some year. It's an amazing, incredible learning experience. Uh, Chris, I'm you know, so appreciative of your willingness to spend some time with me and be on the podcast as our very first guest. Um, You know, we're at the end here, but I'll share some additional resources for our listeners in the show notes. Be well. Have a great
1: day. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leader Talk. All episodes and show notes are available at leadertalk.org, and the podcast is available at most major podcast hosting sites. If you have guest ideas for us, let Scott know. Thanks.